Hey there, and welcome to the Brave Marriage Podcast. I'm Kenzie Dazinski, a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified professional coach. And this is a podcast for couples who really want to grow as individuals, do marriage with intention, and live mutually empowered, purposeful lives. Today, I want to talk to you about personal growth. It occurred to me recently that even though I talk about personal growth on this podcast, it might still be unclear as to what it actually is and what we're really after when we talk about it here. So what I'd like to do is give you a general definition, but then break that definition down into four parts to give you a more nuanced understanding of how personal growth fits into the vision of brave marriage. One website defined personal growth as the ongoing process of understanding and developing oneself in order to reach one's fullest potential. Now, I like this definition a lot, actually, but it lacks clarity in a few places that I hope to make clear today. So one more time, the definition we're using for personal growth and breaking down is the ongoing process of understanding and developing oneself in order to reach one's fullest potential. The first part of this definition refers to personal growth as an ongoing process. We will always have more to learn about ourselves as humans and our role here in the world, which, as I'll explain throughout this episode, is kind of the point of personal growth. I've read a lot of books over the years in the category of personal growth, and what I've found is that there's always more to learn, more angles from which to approach things, and always more to understand about being human and being a child of God. Simply put, it's a process. To address the next part of the definition, personal growth is about understanding oneself. Essentially, what that means is intentional self-awareness. Paying attention to what makes you, you. Understanding the ways in which you come alive, the conditions in which you thrive, as well as understanding your limitations or the areas where you need more healing, more growth, or development. Now, understanding yourself takes time, and it requires a few things. First, it requires others. It's impossible for us to understand ourselves outside of a relational context. If we didn't have parents, siblings, peers, society, or even scripture to show us who we are, we wouldn't be able to make any sense of ourselves. But it's because we have things like the Word of God and other people to act as mirrors and reflect back who we are that we're able to form a sense of self in the first place. So there must be something to it then. If we're able to understand ourselves in relation to each other, there must be some significance in that, right? The second thing that understanding yourself requires is compassionate self-awareness. Understanding who you are versus liking and accepting who you are are two very different things. You could know who you are according to the DISC, Myers-Briggs, StrengthsFinders, the Enneagram, or any number of aptitude or personality tests, but if you continue to think negatively about yourself, judge yourself harshly, or decide that who you are is fixed and therefore not worth keeping company with or treating more compassionately, then attempting to understand yourself better has actually hurt you, not helped you. Can you see that? Understanding without compassion is just leverage to use against someone even if that someone is you. And by the way, counseling is a wonderful place to learn to develop more compassionate self-awareness. Now, the goal of understanding yourself is to actually move beyond that. The point of self-awareness isn't selfishness, narcissism, or grandiosity. In fact, it's those with the least self-awareness that fall into these categories. The point of self-awareness is to create health in your relationships, 
first with yourself and then with others. Let me give you an example. When I first started out as a therapist, I was 24 but looked about 20. I'd been married a year. I wasn't even out of grad school yet. And there I was working with my first couples who were much older than me and who'd been married for way longer than me. And although I knew what to do intellectually and in practice, I was definitely self-conscious about all the things I just mentioned. On top of that, my concerns were confirmed by an older woman who would always call me sweetie and by a middle-aged man who asked me if I really thought I could be of help. Now, thankfully, this was someone I knew outside of the therapy office and not a client, but in those moments, I was more self-conscious than I was self-aware. In sharing this with my supervisor, she helped me to develop what's called self of the therapist, which meant gaining greater self-awareness as to who I was, a young, newly married, white woman, among other things, and how that impacted different types of people in the room. Because if I couldn't move beyond myself, no one else would be able to either. Does that make sense? So what I would soon learn is that you can be self-aware and others-focused at the same time, but you can't be self-conscious and others-focused at the same time. So what's the difference? The difference is self-consciousness is basically self-spectatoring. Your focus is more on how you're being perceived than on actually being present and contributing something worthwhile. What self-consciousness leads to is discomfort, self-doubt, and insecurity. Not a great recipe for being an effective therapist, right? Or an effective pastor, parent, spouse, manager, teacher, speaker, leader, etc. Self-awareness, on the other hand, leads to acceptance, self-knowledge, and humility in the presence of others. Take Jesus, for example. He was a carpenter, a Nazarene, and someone who kept company with tax collectors and sinners. Can you imagine if Jesus had become self-conscious whenever he was around the Pharisees and the scribes? His ministry wouldn't have been the same. But he wasn't self-conscious. He was self-aware. He was very clear on who he was and who he wasn't. And as a result, he was able to perceive the thoughts of others, say what needed to be said, and still have incredible compassion for people. So true self-awareness allows us to understand how others might see us, but not let it conversely affect our work, how we live, or our ability to be present with others. So I just wanted to spend some time on that, lest you think that personal growth and self-awareness are somehow selfish or unchristlike, because in fact, they are not. They're required for our effectiveness. But not only is personal growth about understanding oneself, it's also about developing oneself as the definition continues. This is my favorite part of the work I get to do because as I work with people on developing themselves or their relationships, I get to witness in real time the process of them waking up both to who they truly are and to the life that's possible for them in their marriages. Developmental work in my practice looks like teaching coping skills, communication skills, and healthy mental, emotional, and relationship skills. But in your life, it could also look like developing yourself personally, physically, spiritually, and so forth. I know for me, personal development often comes in stages depending on what's going on in my life and what I'm valuing most in the season. For example, In college, I was mostly being developed cognitively and intellectually. Through grad school, business, and therapeutic training, I was mostly being developed professionally. 
And in the years since then, through marriage, pregnancy loss, infertility, I've mostly been developed emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. But here's the really cool thing about personal development. One area of growth touches all of the others. Many of the lessons you learn in one facet of your life are generalizable to others. So what stage of life are you in? What are you placing high priority on in this season? What lessons are you learning? In what areas can you personally grow and learn more? And how might your investment positively impact other areas of your life? To summarize so far, we've talked about personal growth being the ongoing process of understanding and developing oneself, but the point of it is to reach one's fullest potential. Now, this can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. In the self-help and life coaching space, it often means aiming for self-actualization, which comes out of humanistic philosophy and psychology. In fact, I've read a lot of Christian self-help books over the years that have this moralistic, therapeutic, and humanistic slant. Now, as a Christian who is also a therapist, I can appreciate the benefit of people having tools and skills to help them think better and function better in their lives. And I love a good motivational speech just as much as anyone. But all I'm saying is, if you're a Christian, which I know many of you listening are, that just because the strategies are helpful doesn't necessarily mean that the underlying theologies or philosophies are. For example, if the underlying message is fix yourself and then you will arrive, or try your best and behave a certain way, or stop trying altogether, just be who you are, this might make you feel better in the short term, but none of those actually and truly line up with Christian teaching. So I just wanted to briefly make you aware of that in case you weren't already. But here in this episode, I'm using the phrase to reach one's fullest potential to point back to the vision I shared last week. Reaching one's fullest potential in a Christian sense means to realize your true self in Christ. So on the one hand, it's about learning and growing, but on the other, it's about humbling ourselves and stripping back the layers of our ego to find our truest selves in Christ. It's not something you force, but something you mature in and grow into, as well as uncover over time. Furthermore, there's a purpose beyond ourselves in reaching our fullest potential in Christ. We're not meant to bask in our own glory, but to bring God glory with our lives. And listen, I am the first to tell you that I have gotten all of these things wrong so many times, and honestly, it's taken me about a decade to even arrive at where I am now which is having sorted through all the messages, the philosophies, the theology, to arrive at my own understanding and integration of personal growth and my faith. But if you have any questions about personal growth, further resources, or anything I've covered in this episode, feel free to email me, kinsey at bravemarriage.com. Your action step this week is to find one small way to invest in your personal growth. Maybe that's taking a personality test. Maybe that's picking up a book on spiritual formation. Maybe that's investing in a course that's going to make you more effective at what you do. But whatever you choose, do it because you're becoming more self-aware, you're treating yourself more compassionately, and not because I say so or someone else wants you to, but because you want to. And my prayer for you this week is that the Lord would use another person or resource that he would use relationship with others to show you more of who he is this week and more of who you truly are in him. 
talk soon. Bye-bye. Just as fragile as it is.